Welcome to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. This is your friendly neighborhood podcast host, Daniel Bauer. Better Leaders, Better Schools is a weekly show for ruckus makers. What is a ruckus maker? A leader who has found freedom from the status quo. A leader who makes change happen. A leader who never, ever gives up. How many of us would give up on a student like Luca? Even within the first few weeks of school, he caused so much trouble, including violent fights, It's easy to understand why a member of your teaching staff would say, I've had it, Luca's out, I'm done. But that is not the approach that today's guest took. And by putting in the work and really getting to know Luca one-to-one, he was able to help him turn it around. And from somebody who would be considered a high flyer in discipline as a freshman, he became a model student as a sophomore. So how do you do it? Well, we'll talk about that up first in today's conversation with Nathan Maynard, co-author of Hacking School Discipline. So Ruckus Maker, thanks for being here. And before we jump into the episode, let's take some time to thank our show sponsors. In the Mastermind, we believe that questions are better than answers and that there's power in connecting with other elite performers. Kevin, a principal in Tunisia, had this to say about his mastermind experience. I feel more connected to the everyday changes in education. In addition to being more informed, I feel empowered to bring new educational ideas and strategies to my team at my school. We'd love to serve you in the mastermind and welcome your application. Enroll today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder, a program designed to develop your students' executive function and non-cognitive skills. Learn more at organizedbinder.com. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by TeachFX. Using artificial intelligence, the TeachFX app enables instructional leaders to coach more teachers more often and more effectively. Learn how and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. Nathan Maynard is a co-author of Hacking School Discipline, Nine Ways to Create a Culture of Empathy and Responsibility Using Restorative Justice. He also is the co-founder and acting CEO of Behavior Flip. He is passionate about addressing the school-to-prison pipeline crisis and closing the achievement gap through implementing trauma-informed behavioral practices. Welcome to the show, Nathan. Thanks for having me on, Daniel. So we're going to start with a story where you never gave up, right? And it's easy. It's, and I understand, right? When, when educators have been pushed to their wits end, it's easy to write off that tough kid. And if, if you'll bring us to a moment when it was the first week of school, there was this freshman and there was a really violent fight that broke out. Basically, everybody gave up on this kid except you. What's that story? Yeah, so there, there was this student that I was dealing with and working with really closely. And, you know, it was first week of school, didn't know him very well. You know, and then there was this big fight. 
I went to the fight, helped break it up. You know, we did some restorative practices. You know, he had to be out of school for a couple of days, brought him back in here, had a great conference with his mom, you know, with the other student and his mom. Everything was going well. A couple of weeks later, similar situation took place. Another fight with a different student, you know, happened. So again, did some restorative practices with the family. Uh, talked to the mom a little bit more in depth, found out that, you know, he's struggling a little bit at home. Mom had you know, quite a few other, um, you know, children. I think there's 13 in the home at the time with him. So there's quite a bit going on. Um, he had, you know, some trauma in his life with, you know, some people passing away and some, some people being incarcerated. So there's a lot of stuff that he was dealing with. So I started really paying attention to, um, you know, let's, let's call him Luca. I started paying really close attention to Luca, helping him out, building up a relationship with him and just talking to him anytime I could. And it's tough being a dean of a high school and sort of balancing that. But I knew I had to do some positive touch bases with, you know, with this kid to sort of build him up. So, you know, after that second fight, there's no, no other fights, but he would have these like outbursts where he would walk out of classes, shut down. He'd be in the hallway, pacing back and forth with his headphones on, you know, teachers would try to redirect him. He would ignore them. He just continued to continue to, you know, sort of push the limits. No one really knew what was going on. I would keep doing our, my one-on-one meetings with them, trying to do these touch bases. And, you know, finally I wanted to, you know, just do something different. So I talked to his mom about some Know, mental health services. So we got that set up just to see if there's anything, you know, going on with that. Again, no changes, still these outbursts, still these behaviors. I was communicating with this therapist as much as I could. And then I, I started doing these with my one-on-one meetings. I did this activity that, you know, I put in the book called the iceberg, you know, method where, you know, I had him right at the top what his behavior was. So, you know, outbursts, you know, walking out of class. And then I had him write everything underneath that. When he was writing that out, he did put like a he had quite a few different, you know, words in there, but he drew a picture of an angel and then he drew a picture of like these devil horns. And I was like, you know, Luca, what does this mean? And he started talking to me and I found out that um, he hears voices in his head. So he said that the devil's talking to me and then the angels talk to me too. So I have a good side and I have a bad side. And at first I just continued to talk him through it, continue to talk him through it. And, you know, after a while, then I um, talked, called his mom afterwards, talked to the, uh, the, mental health therapist and found out that he had some undiagnosed schizophrenia um, issues going on. And, you know, no one knew we, we saw these fights, we saw these outbursts, we saw him in the hallways. You know, I try to do these touch bases with him, but you know, he had some stuff going on that, you know, no one noticed. So, I mean, I think that persistence really paid off to help him out. Definitely. And you were willing to dig, right. And you asked those questions. Uh, I like that iceberg activity that you talked about and then you yeah. start to get a fuller picture. And now Luca's not, as easy to write off because you have this this history, this story that he's going through and you can't help but want to uh, reach out and help him be successful. Yes. Yep. And I remember when we were talking during the intro call that a year later, he became one of the most successful students in the building in terms of his behavior. So what did that transition look like? Yeah. Yeah. So we slowly, you know, built him up as a school, you know, there's one-on-one meetings with him and, you know, he started to, and then he got a girlfriend and, you know, that sort of helped out a little bit with him having some, you know, just pro-social things going on. He tried to play basketball for a little bit, but he just really turned into, you know, when there's other situations happening in the school, he would always be the one that wanted to help out. So with, you know, restorative practices, a lot of times, you know, there's other stakeholders involved and, you know, I would see him sort of facilitating these conversations with people when there's, they were upset with each other because he's had so many of those, you know, with myself and other people in the school that, you know, he was having all these, you know, pro conversations with people that I thought was just all around awesome. 
one kid, right? And, and that's yeah. awesome to see the turnaround and the amount of yeah care and time you put into that student. How do you scale that though? That was pretty intense, that story. So how do you bring that then to a grade level or a whole building? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, it's tough because you want to focus on, you know, these these children that might be in like that tier three, that MTSS or RTI model, but it's really tough to put that in there. So I think the best thing to do is just build up relationships with as many people in the school as possible on these students and then have, you know, the school all around, have that as a relation-based school, relationship-based school and having different, you know, your, your teachers, your social emotional learning, any counselors, your admin, like what my position was anything like that, just building up these relationships with these students. So then you can seek to understand what might be driving these behaviors having a conversation with a student in the hallway, just saying like, Hey Luke, it's nice for you to be here today. You know, let's have a good day or anything like that. I mean, it's just one little tiny, you know, insert into that bank account of building that student back up to feeling good about themselves. So those little positive touch bases is an easy way to scale that up as well as just having the entire school focus on building relationships with not just their class, but with every student that they come across. I remember too, uh, one school I worked at and I thought this was brilliant they sort of highlighted the students that probably would need the most uh, care in terms in connection with relationships. And these were students who typically spent the most time in the office, earned the highest amount of referrals. And, and they asked for volunteers and mentors to consistently check in on these kids all the time, right? And so yeah. that plan worked. And, it, and that's what I'm hearing you say, you know, it's, it's, it's about relationships and being there for the students, letting them know that you care. Yes, absolutely. So the book that you wrote, Hacking School Discipline, has tons of practical steps that ruckus makers listening can take. I know that you're big on building relationships. We just talked a bit about that. How do you use open-ended questions to build relationships with students? Yeah, so to build relationships with students, you really want to get just healthy conversations going back and forth. So anytime it can be, you know, just, just anything going on with a student, you, you want to find out with it. So when you use open-ended questions, you really put that back on the student to say what's on their mind and just let them have sort of that door that's open. I really like to um, use those open-ended questions also to form cognitive dissonance with students. So, you know, finding out what their intrinsic motivation is, what, you know, what their passion is, what they want to do, what their future is, no matter how how big that could be. You know, if someone comes up to me and says, I want to be a professional NBA player. Cool. You know, like what's the steps to get there? Okay. Well, you have to go to college. Cool. How do you get to college? Okay. You got to do well in high school. All right, cool. Let me help you with that. And then this is your behavior. And then having them connect the dots through opening the questions builds up, not just that relationship, but also builds up their esteem to make, you know, problem solving themselves. Because I can tell any student, you know, well, only 2% of, you know, professional college basketball players might go to the NBA or whatever that statistic might be. But I'm connecting the dots. When you're using open-ended questions, you're putting that back on them, having them connect those dots. And that really is what, you know, helps them form those relationships as well as helps them just push them to make their own decisions in a healthy, constructive way. Yeah, they have ownership over that process. And it's not as helpful to say, well, 2% of people make it to the NBA. So uh, let's come up with plan B. Your plan A sucks, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if you go through all those steps and a student sees, right, like, wow, this is all the work I'm going to have to put in, then they have to uh, evaluate uh, or maybe reevaluate, you know, what that dream is. And who knows? I think I I bet um, many students... um, 
who saw themselves ending up in the NBA, they can see some sort of career options on the periphery of that that would have gone unexplored without uncovering maybe all those steps. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So in the Luca example, we heard restorative conversations quite a bit. I have a feeling that most ruckus makers listening know what that's all about. Uh, Some people might have different definitions as well. So can you unpack a bit what a restorative conversation looks like and maybe how you host those in the school could be part A and then part B if you do those at home? Yeah, definitely. So when you're doing a restorative conversation, uh, you know, the the main component is you want to seek to understand what's going on. So even if I would get a referral down and I knew this student was coming down to the office and it's going to have that teacher that's written out everything. I'm going to take that and I'm going to, I'm going to read that and I'm going to seek to understand what that, where that teacher is coming from. But when that student comes down to my office or when I go to you know, seek out this student, I want to first seek to understand what happened. I want to find out what was driving that behavior. Because if you just quickly label that behavior and say, okay, you curse, that's uh, one day in school suspension. You know, this is you know, the day that you had to go for it, blah, blah, blah. You know I mean? That's just a bandage approach to that. So with a restorative conversation, I first want to seek to understand that behavior. Then I want to use those open-ended questions to get them to take responsibility for their behavior. So that's a big component. So seek to understand, find that responsibility. And then also after that, you want to make sure that they're repairing the harm with who they harm. So if they harm the teacher, they harm the class, they harm the school, whatever that would look like, you know, I really want them to find a creative way to repair the harm. Sometimes I help them come up with different options. Sometimes I have them come up with them themselves, depending on their you know, processing. And then sometimes the teachers help come up with that as well. So in those conversations, they don't take that long. You know, you, you're going to ask them open questions. You're going to figure out what happened, see both sides of the story, make your decision, have them take responsibility, and then move on with it, with preparing the harm. What we see with that is sometimes we find out that, you know, what might be driving a behavior is different than what we thought was driving the behavior. You know, seeing a student have an outburst in the class, you know, that's, that's going to be disruptive. And, you know, that's quick. Like, obviously, we need to address that. We need to take care of that. But is there anything else going on? I have to find out what that is. So every time there's a situation like that, I feel like I'm a detective and I use these questions to try to seek to understand and then um, go from there. So that's at the school level. Um, at home, uh, you know, like I have a four-year-old son, his name's Asher. And like, I, you know, I do these practices with him. Like if he's doing something that, you know, isn't, isn't appropriate, you know, I'm going to figure out what was driving that and I'm going to have him repair the harm and take responsibility for that. And then I have him come up with sort of like a plan of action with me of, you know, and I don't call it that for a four-year-old, but like, I'm going to have him come up with what's that next steps to, you know, move forward. So this doesn't happen again, even with him. I mean, like I'm seeing changes in behavior. I'm seeing him go to the school and let's say, you know, I mean, like I had a lot of energy as a you know kid, his mom did as well. So now looking at him, he's, he's got a lot of energy too. So, you know, a lot of the types of stuff that I'm seeing at his preschool is him with a lot of energy, you know, running around, but you know, I'm trying to come up with better ways for him to use that energy because I'm seeking to understand that there's a situation where it was his third birthday party and I had, you know, my family together and we were having this at a Chick-fil-A restaurant with like the playhouse. And at the end of the night, it was really fun. Asher had a ton of fun. At the end of the night, he um, kicked the chair over. It was like about 9.30s, bedtime's around 7.30, kicked the chair over. And I was like, Asher, what's going on? And I pulled him aside. And, you know, he looked at me and he goes, I'm sad that everyone's leaving me. And like, I, it was just such a joy to hear that come out of my three-year-old son's mouth that like he was sad that people were leaving him. So, you know, obviously he can't be kicking over a chair and we're going to address that and take care of that. But I'm getting him to 
label his feelings. And that's what I try to transfer over to the school too. When I see a kid acting out in class, I want to have them label what the, what the real stuff is behind that. So then you can own it and you can move forward and things become real. When you go up to a student and you talk to him about, you know, Fortnite or something like that, that you might know a little bit about and you're trying to make that relationship with, like, that's more superficial. You want to dig in and find out really what, you know, where, where they're coming from and use these questions to really push that. You know, I do that at home and at school and it's effective. Yeah, we're reading the Emotional Intelligence 2.0 right now with the mastermind. One reason is that studies show folks that score high on emotional intelligence also tend to rise to higher levels of leadership influence and make about $24,000 on average more than their peers. But another stat that really piqued my interest is that 30%, I think, of uh, the leaders they surveyed, and it was maybe 100,000 or so, could effectively label their emotions and what was going on internally. And like you said, that's, that's the first step to be able to own what's going on. Uh, but that internal and external awareness is so, such a critical you know, skill to have to be an effective leader. So I just want to thank you uh, for teaching this to, to young people. Yeah, it's, it's great. And, and again, I really feel like when you teach them emotional intelligence and literacy, like what, what it's helping out is you, you see, I feel like it's going to be more effective down the road, you know, just sort of like that stat that you're giving, you know, like I, I really am excited to see where some of these students are going that can, you know, really identify where they're at and, you know, move on with it and making real relationships in their life. You know, I feel like that's going to, you know, really go, go far for them. Nathan, I'm enjoying this conversation about hacking school discipline, and we got into restorative practices there. But let's pause just for a second for a message from our sponsors. The Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is brought to you by Organized Binder. Organized Binder is an evidence-based RTI Tier 1 universal level solution and focuses on improving executive functioning and non-cognitive skills. You can learn more and improve your student success at OrganizeBinder.com. Hey, Ruckus Maker. Imagine if every teacher in your school had a personal instructional coach. Well, today's show is sponsored by TeachFX, and that's exactly what they do. But don't take it from me. Listen to what some of the teachers who use TeachFX say. Really, for me, it's just that number crunching of trying to give my kids opportunity to talk. I like your, your little bar there with the red, white, and blue spaces. Because mm-hmm. I was looking at a classroom yesterday and, and going, oh, there's a, a big chunk of time that I spoke. That when I see right. red, blue, red, blue, I know that I'm, I'm dialoguing with students. I'm answering questions. And all of a sudden, I see this big chunk of teacher talk. And I go, oh, okay. Learn all about TeachFX and get a special offer by visiting teachfx.com forward slash BLBS. All right, Ruckus Maker, we're back with Nathan Maynard, co-author of Hacking School Discipline, Nine Ways to Create a Culture of Empathy and Responsibility Using Restorative Justice. And he's also the co-founder and acting CEO of Behavior Flip. So we're just digging deep there into restorative justice, restorative practices. And I'm curious what you'd say to the critics and the skeptics, those that are very comfortable and are, you know, continuing to want a more traditional model of discipline. And to be an effective communicator, to be an effective leader and influencer, 
to show empathy to these people, we need to understand their point of view. So how do you talk to your critics and skeptics? Yeah. So a lot of, you know, first I, same thing with like any behavior that I'm dealing with in the classroom or at home, you know, I want to seek to understand, you know, where they're coming from. Is this like a traditional thing? Is this something that you has been passed down? You know, where is this a quicker process that they think in their head? Like, okay, well, you know, punitive discipline takes less time. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Or sort of understanding where they're coming from. Most of the critical feedback that I get around restorative practices is it takes too much time. And it does take time. It does take a little bit additional time. But, you know, Pam Leo has a great quote that, you know, I, I threw in my book as well, saying you either spend the time, you know, giving that student love, c- care, compassion, or you spend that time, you know, redirecting them and addressing their behavior. Either way, you're spending the time. So if you spend a couple extra minutes doing this restorative practices, you know, it's, it's going to do wonders. So I, I think that's the biggest criticism I hear around restorative practices is just the time component. I'm wondering what your why is. Why do you care so passionately about this topic? Yeah. So I, when I was in school, you know, I struggled quite a bit up until eighth grade. And in high school, I, I turned it around. But, you know, I was, I was struggling a little bit in school and, you know, I had some, you know, stuff going on. And, you know, I, I feel like I was given a chance to really make a difference and change. And, you know, I had some, you know, great, you know, great components that came into play. But, I really feel like there's a lot of students that don't get that chance. And there's a lot of students that, you know, they may be going through a situation and and no one knows, no one really, and people are trying, you know, it's not that schools aren't trying or school leaders aren't trying. Like, you know, everyone out there, they, they want to do something, but sometimes, you know, it just, it just gets missed. And I feel like my own journey really has helped me out as well as, you know, when I first got started, you know, straight out of school, I worked at a residential treatment care center with at-risk youth and just, hearing their stories and seeing where they're coming from. And just, it just made me so passionate and just want to help out as many people as possible, you know, for the rest of my life. And I've always said like, no matter what I do, that's my population, you know, it's underserved, underprivileged, at risk, you know, whatever, you know, you would like, like to call it, you know, like that, that's where it's at because I really feel like it's not because no one's inherently bad. There's no people out there that just has, you know, just ill intentions all the time. There's something driving that it can be, you know, anything. And sometimes it could be mental illness. It could be other, you know, but again, any supports that we can put into place to help support someone or anything at all, I mean, it's, it's going to really make the world a better place. And I feel like the more people do these restorative practices or relationship building or anything in school, out of school, in juvenile justice fields, you know, even in the criminal justice fields for adults, you know, it's, it's building people back up and it's making our culture and our climate and our everything better by just building everybody up. Talk to us about Behavior Flip. You are now running that full time and things are going well. Uh, So if there's a listener who doesn't know what Behavior Flip is and what you offer, please tell us a bit about it. Yeah, yeah. So Brad Weinstein, the other co-author of the book, uh, Hacking School Discipline with me, uh, we created this system called Behavior Flip. It's the first restorative practices um, software out there. So what we wanted to do was do something that would, you know, track behaviors, positive or negative behaviors. But if there's negative behaviors that take place, we wanted to give that student a chance to repair the harm. And if they didn't repair the harm in that moment, give them layered up tiered restorative consequences and keep everything data centered. So what we do with the system is we track behaviors in three different categories, respect, responsibility, and resiliency. 
And so we do some PBIS, you know, systems in there as well, but we're really trying to let the students that are struggling have a chance to repair the harm and then look at real-time data. So we created the system really as something that, you know, what would meet as many social emotional needs for a school as possible. Right now we're in close to 40 school districts, but we've had close to 500 um, around the world, actually. We've had quite a few you know, international ones reach out to us getting started and interested in the software. So it's moving really quickly. And I think the reason why people have interest in it is because it, it really puts the power back on the teacher, puts the power back on the students, makes the jobs for the admin a little bit less hard with less referrals, and they're dealing with stuff in the classroom. And it's really easy to use. Um, you know, There's web-based. There, we've got Android, iOS app out there you know, going. So... You know, it's just, it's a cool system. And for those that want to reach out and see if it's a good fit for their school, where can they learn a bit more about Behavior Flip? Yeah, our website would probably be the best. So just www.behaviorflip.com. Um, we also have um, a Facebook page that we just post you know, content on there as well as Twitter. Um, so, you know, any of those out are, you know, good spots. Nathan, what's one resource that's helped you level up in the last three months? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I think I heard this quote from you, you know, a while back, like iron sharpens other iron. And <laughs> I really feel like a lot of the other educators that I work with and deal with, you know, I've been traveling around to different schools. I mean, even this week alone, I'm going to, you know, five states and, you know, seven days. So I'm really getting out there and moving around. But I keep talking to these educators and other admin and other teachers. And I just learn so much from every single person that I come across. And it's just such a cool opportunity to have know, all these blessings to be able to travel around, talk to different schools, talk to different educators, make relationships with them. So I really feel like the other educators anywhere I go just level me up every time I'm around them. And what message would you put on all school marquees across the globe if you could do so for just a day? Yeah, that's a great, great one as well. Um, I would say, you know, seek to understand every behavior in the school. You know, you really want to figure out what's going on with students, no matter what the, the high, high flyers, the ones that, you know, may not be high flying at the time, you know, and just really keep that open mindedness. So, you know, just seek to understand all behaviors. You're building a school from the ground up. You're not limited by any resources. Your only limitations, your imagination. How would you build your dream school and what would be your top three priorities? So I really think my, you know, when, when I'm building this dream school, the the top three that I would really want on there. One is I would want, you know, restorative practices to be the the center of all discipline, as well as just classroom management, anything in the school. I'd want them to be doing circles in the morning, circles in the afternoon, check in, check out circles. If there's something going on in the classroom, having them circle up, anything with discipline would be restorative practices. And, you know, and again, too, that doesn't take away from, you know, the academics all the time. So I want to throw that out there, too. I also think for my second one, I would want that to be a project-based learning school because, you know, I've been, you know, a part of one for a couple of years now, and it's just been such an awesome opportunity to see these students work on real life, real world projects, relate that to different components of their academics and just build those students up. And I feel like, you know, the, the school that I was at, you know, I'm so excited to see them when they go off to college because of that project-based learning. I also think that, you know, for my third component, just social emotional learning um, counselors throughout the building, keeping a good ratio there between students and those counselors, having them do check-ins, check-outs, because, you know, we have awesome teachers all around, all around the world. There's, there's awesome teachers. You know, I really want, you know, there to be more counselors in, you know, my dream school, just to really support those students that on any components, because I think that that's one um, part that could help out. 
Nathan, thank you so much for being a part of the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. Of all the things we talked about today, what's the one thing you want a ruckus maker to remember? Yeah, yeah that's a great, great one as well. Um, I really think that, you know, just giving restorative practices a chance, giving every student a chance, being as patient as possible, n- no matter what the situation is, you know, really just giving everyone, everyone an opportunity, your, your staff, your, you know, coworkers, your family, just students, anyone, just giving them a chance. Don't label things quickly. Just take a moment, figure out what's going on and make a good decision. Thanks for listening to the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast, Ruckus Maker. If you have a question or would like to connect, my email, daniel at betterleadersbetterschools.com or hit me up on Twitter at Alien Earbud. If the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast is helping you grow as a school leader, then please help us serve more ruckus makers like you. You can subscribe, leave an honest rating and review, or share on social media with your biggest takeaway from the episode. Extra credit for tagging me on Twitter at Alien Earbud and using the hashtag BLBS. Level up your leadership at betterleadersbetterschools.com and talk to you next time. Until then, class dismissed.